Last time, we started our discussion of uh, two types of uh, phenomenon, uh, objects, self-sufficiently knowable and imputedly knowable objects. And we spoke first about the Vaibhashika school, and uh, according to the Vaibhashika theories, uh, self-sufficiently knowable phenomenon are phenomenon that uh, are um, don't require cognition of a basis for imputation before uh, cognizing them, and uh, imputably knowable phenomenon are those that do require cognition first of the basis before we have cognition of both them and the basis, and according to the Vaibhashika theories. Uh, everything is uh, substantially established, uh, which means that uh, everything is a source of uh, cognition of it. So that includes in their uh, presentation both uh, non-static and uh, static phenomenon. And so for them, everything is uh, self-sufficiently knowable. There's nothing that is imputedly knowable, and there's nothing that is... Uh, imputedly established. Everything is uh, substantially established. Nothing is exclusively uh, imputedly established. So that was the Vaibhashika system. And uh, uh, because of uh, that, then uh, you know, it fits in together with uh, their cognition theory that uh, there is just a direct cognition that uh, the um, object, the, the object that the consciousness is involved with, just hits the uh, um, cognitive sensor and the consciousness, and there's no rising of a mental hologram. So now we go to the Satrantika system, and in the uh, Satrantika system, we have a uh, differentiation that is made between uh, objective uh, phenomenon, objective uh, objects, and uh, metaphysical objects. The uh, objective uh, objects are substantially established. They cover all the uh, non-static phenomenon, so forms of physical phenomenon, ways of being aware of things, and non-congruent uh, affecting variables, that is, uh, persons and so on. When we say non-congruent affecting variables, these are uh, variables, in other words, non-static phenomenon, things that change, that are affecting, they affect our uh, experience. Uh, they are neither forms of physical phenomenon nor ways of being aware of something, and they are non-congruent with uh, the uh, primary consciousness and mental factors that they accompany, which means that they don't share five things in common with them. They don't share all five things in common with them. They share some of the five things in common with them, like uh, time and uh, so on. Um, in the case of uh, persons, persons uh, also uh, uh, are focused on the same object because persons know things but they're not a way of being aware of something. The persons don't give rise to a mental hologram, only the consciousness uh, does. 
in the case of other types of uh, affecting variables like uh, motion, they uh, aren't focused on an object, you know, they don't know anything. So there's slight difference among the different types of non-congruent affecting variables. The exclusively imputedly established phenomenon. So these uh, refer to metaphysical phenomenon. These are all static phenomenon. They include categories as well as uh, space and selflessness of persons. The uh, assertion of it's not called voidness, just called selflessness or identitylessness of persons as uh, asserted in the Satchantika system. You had a question, Hani? I was just wondering because before we used to talk a lot about those three things about not being static, not being uh, divided, monolithic. Yeah. The third one? The third one was not that persons were devoid of being uh, static, uh, partless, yeah. and uh, ex- being able to exist independently of a body and mind. Yes. Of aggregates, basically. Does this connect in any way with this? Uh, that is the selflessness of uh, persons, and so that's a static phenomenon. According to uh, Vaibhashika, it's self-established, and substantial. it's, I'm sorry, it's substantially established, it's self-sufficiently knowable, and according to Sautrantika, it's um, exclusively uh, imputedly established and it is imputedly knowable. Okay. Any other questions? You just said in Vaivashika, it's on the, in Vaivashika is on this corner, it's a... Vaivashika? No, Vibhashika is in this corner? No, Vibhashika is the whole thing. No, no, the person. Person in Vibhashika is uh, substantially established and self-sufficiently knowable. Whereas in Sautrantika it is still substantially established, but it's imputedly knowable. But the selflessness of a person in Vaibhashika is also... Is also a non... Uh, it's also a, a non-congruent affecting variables. It's not considered static. And uh, I looked this up. It's uh, interesting. They say that it's not because in the Sautranta... I'm sorry, Vaibhashika says there are only three static phenomenon. Space, so that is the lack of uh, uh, tangibility or anything obstructive that would prevent something from occupying three dimensions. So it's a fact about things. It's not the location, it's not the space that something implies, but it is what allows for this table to not be blocked by anything so it can be here. And then there are analytical cessations and non-analytical cessations. Analytical uh, sensations, cessations are, or stoppings, are those that uh, are brought about by applying an opponent, like the understanding of selflessness for, as the opponent for grasping for, coarse selflessness, coarse self of a person, 
the Vibhashika system. And non-analytical is a cessation of something that is brought about not by, you know, applying an opponent like the fact that there is uh, um, Last Christmas is over already. Um, spending last Christmas with you, which I didn't do, is finished now. I mean, it could never occur. You know, it could never occur because uh, it, uh, the time when it could have occurred is finished. You know, it's no longer happening. So if I have um, if I buy this item in the store and not that item, the fact the you know the cessation of buying that other item that I didn't buy, that's a non-analytical cessation. So according to the commentaries, it says that uh, in the 16 aspects of the Four Noble Truths, the three, the four aspects of the First Noble Truth, the Noble Truth of Suffering, are uh, referring to the body. Basically, body sensations and so on is uh, uh, that they are impermanent, that they are by nature suffering, that they are void and selfless. And so uh, there it says that uh, only the four characteristics of the third noble truth are static because they are uh, analytical cessations. Mm -hmm. And since the uh, first, second, and fourth noble truths are non-static phenomenon, body, you know, body as uh, true suffering, feelings as the uh, causes of uh, true causes of suffering because of the craving for them and uh, the path meaning the true understandings because they are non-static then the um, each of the uh, groups of four factors that are aspects of them have to also be non-static therefore there's no reason why being void and being uh, selfless is defined. I forget exactly how it's defined in Vaibhashka and the others. One of them is uh, uh, selfless of the coarse self and the void of the subtle self. I think it's that way around. I'm not sure. In Vaibhashka, I think it has something to do with either what self that is one with the aggregates or self that's different with the ag aggregates. But in any case, they make this differentiation of uh, void and selfless then uh, since it's part of the First Noble Truth, and that's First Noble Truth is non-static, therefore uh, selflessness is a non-congruent affecting variable. I thought they don't have non-congruent affecting variables. I Pardon? Thought, I thought they have only self-sufficiently noble and substantially established phenomena. Right, and for them, non-congruent affecting okay. variables are, self are substantially okay. established, Okay. as they are for everybody, okay. and they are self-sufficiently mm -hmm. knowable. Because you have, you know, if there's the defining characteristic of the, let's say, a uh, person, 
and the defining characteristics of the aggregates that uh, the person is an imputation on. If you have direct cognition, you know, that that uh, defining characteristic just hits the sensor and the consciousness, then the defining characteristic of the basis of imputation doesn't hit it. So it's only the defining characteristic of the person that uh, is known. So for that reason, you don't have to have cognition of the basis. And you can't have, you know, well, like that. So that's the Vibhashika system. So we have this uh, Sautrantika uh, system. And uh, so Sautrantika interprets the definition of imputedly knowable phenomenon you know, substantially established and substantially self-sufficiently knowable, I think, are fairly straightforward. Um, but uh, imputedly knowable, these are the ones that are a little bit uh, tricky. And they say, uh, for these, when they are actually cognized, they rely on actual cognition of something else. Uh, and that means... Uh, not only actual cognition of something else in the moment, immediately preceding valid cognition of it, but also simultaneously with it. So you have first, you would have cognition of the basis, and then you would have cognition of the uh, basis and the imputedly knowable phenomenon together. So that gets a little bit uh, tricky. In the Definition. Actual cognition means that it is actually apprehended, which means uh, that it is uh, known with uh, accurately and with certainty. This is the definition of uh, apprehended. It's also the same word for understood. And it can either be explicitly or implicitly apprehended. Implicitly is that... Uh, hologram of it arises implicitly is that no hologram of it arises while the hologram of something else arises. And we used that uh, example, I think, last time of uh, a hologram of uh, the refrigerator arising, uh, but uh, uh, we implicitly know that uh, there's no milk in the refrigerator, so there's no hologram of no milk arising uh, in that uh, cognition. So, something has to be actually cognized. That, uh, that means with uh, uh, certainty and accurately first, and then uh, both that basis. So this is basically the basis of imputation. And then what is uh, imputed on it, an imputation on it would be seen, would be cognized simultaneously with it. So let's uh, analyze uh, an example of this with, uh, in this uh, Trantica system. So they're making a difference between an involved object and the appearing object. An involved object is what is actually cognized. So in this case, we're talking about what is, what is 
the object of actual cognition, so with uh, accuracy and certainty. There's a difference between that and the appearing object. The appearing object is what actually arises to the uh, um, called the, to the face of the cognition. So you know what what appears. So in the first moment, so what we have is the appearing object, and mind you, this is an objective phenomenon in Sautrantika, so it's existing out there, you know, before anybody uh, sees it or cognizes it. And if we're talking about a, a sight, there are colored shapes, and also this is uh, the prasangika, um, well, the galupa version, I should say. The galupa version is what's uh, is the true aspectarian form of Sautrantika, uh, also true aspectarian of Chittamatra and you know of everything. So uh, true aspectarian means that uh, we actually non-conceptually see a whole co uh, conventional object according to the uh, um, non-galupas. A whole conventional object is only a conceptual construct that uh, we only see at one moment colored shapes and uh, uh, one moment of colored shapes. But a whole conventional object has uh, the data of uh, all the senses and it endures over time. And so they say that we don't, you know, the eye consciousness doesn't see that. It's only a mental synthesis. Uh, so it's a conceptual cognition. Whereas uh, Galupa says uh, that's the false aspectarian. True aspectarian is that, no, you'd have to say that uh, you actually do see the uh, whole object. And after we finish this uh, unit on uh, self-sufficiently knowable, imputedly knowable objects, then we'll get into uh, the analysis of the relation of the whole and parts. As, uh, you know, in terms of this discussion of uh, a cognitive part, like a sight of something, colored shapes, and the whole conventional object. But uh, here, the true aspectarian version of Sautrantika, the Galupa version, the uh, objective phenomenon are colored shapes, uh, a body as a whole conventional object, and a person, and a deceptive appearance of the person. You know, is appearing as if it uh, had a coarse self and a subtle self. Impossible self, referring to that. So that's actually there. You see, I see colored shapes. I also see a, uh, a whole body, and I see the person. Right? However, in the first moment, only the colored shapes and the body as a whole are actually cognized. In other words, the involved objects, only those are known with certainty. Okay? So only those are known with certainty. One moment of cognition is too fast. And the imputed phenomenon on it, a person or motion, is too subtle to be able to see 
with certainty in one moment, in the first moment. So it takes a few moments to be able to put it together in a sense and see, you know, uh, actually cognize with certainty the person. It's easy to understand with motion. One moment of something, you'd have to say, of a moving object, you'd have to say it's in motion. But like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, you can't tell the, you know, the speed and the location simultaneously. So only over a few moments can you actually know with certainty motion, right? So they say it's the same thing with a person. Think about that, if that uh, makes any sense. So the first moment, although there's a person there, we only know with certainty the colored shapes and the body as a whole. And in the second moment, what appears is and involved is both the colored shapes and body as well as the person. non-conceptual. If it's conceptual, you fit it into the category of person and body, these categories, and you might know them by name. You don't have to apply a name. And who the person is, based on the category of all the individual times that we've seen or heard the person. So moment one is non-conceptual. Moment, moment two is also non-conceptual. Yeah. I I'm looking at you, right? Yes. So what do I what actually um, appears? What appears is colored shapes, a body, and a person. That's what appears. That's objective fact. It was there before I looked at you. Yeah. Right? From your side, yeah. you are, there are colored shapes and a body and a person. So now I walk into the room and I see you. So this is what appears to my mind, to visual consciousness. However, and that's accurate. And, it's ac and it is with certainty only in that first moment of the colored shapes and the body. And only in the second moment, I'm still seeing you non-conceptually, is there certainty of a person. Yeah, what means person? Person means... Person means not a dead body, it's a person. Yeah. A 
like somebody, like uh, some some living being yeah. with a mind, some sentient being. That's a person, an individual. So you ascertain, to know with certainty is to ascertain, which means to know something with certainty, that it's a person and not something else. It's a person, it's not a, um, a dummy in a store window. Ascertain, I mean, this is a difficult word, really, to know with certainty. It doesn't mean that you actually know what it is. To know what it is, you have to fit it into a category and apply, you know, and apply a name and so on, to really know what it is. But that the consciousness is distinguishing it's basically it's based on distinguishing the defining characteristic you know on the side of the body you know there are it's defining characteristics of colored shapes defining characteristics of a body and we'll get into that uh, when we talk about the whole in parts. And, according to Sautrantika, defining characteristics of a person are found on the side of mental consciousness. So I'm not seeing mental consciousness. I'm seeing a body. So I'm not actually seeing the defining characteristics of a person. So it's only in the second moment, and the moment can be a phase, it doesn't have to be, you know, one sixty-fourth of a finger snap, but in the second moment, then I'm certain that it's a person. I mean, the, the consciousness has differentiated defining characteristic or, or distinguish the defining characteristic of a person. Well, it's a body and there must be a mind and the defining characteristic of a mind and so on. It's a person. But isn't that conceptual? No, well, I mean, this is the difficult way of saying it. Because to say that it is a person fits it into the category of person, which is then conceptual. It's not that I know what it is. So what, what could that mean? Because to say person, you are differentiating from, I don't know, table. From table. And there, what is differentiating is a concept of table? Or concept? No, not concept. It's not differentiating concept from table. When I distinguish colored shapes and a body, I'm distinguishing them from the colored shapes of the sofa that's behind you yeah. and the wall that's behind your head that, that is not right and so the same thing 
is that you see there is a it's called a collection synthesis and a kind synthesis according to the non-galupas they're conceptual according to galupas they are known non-conceptually so the collection synthesis is the whole bo body it's a whole body it's a collection of all the parts and all the uh, cognitive data and all the moments of time that it uh, is, extends over. That's a collection thing. And a kind collection is that it is some sort of thing. So it is, what kind of object is it? It's a body. I haven't fitted into it. We're talking about something that's objective not talking about a conceptual category that I fit it into and have a name for. So I am distinguishing what kind of object this is from other, you know, from, from other kinds of objects. So what kind of object is it? It's a body and it's a person. That's what kind of thing it is. So it's just sort of sorting, sorting out objectively what it is. I mean, mind you, this whole process occurs very, very quickly. You know, and it's only after that, then you have subsequent cognition in which it's not, if you go into cognition theory, which it's not safe, then uh, mental cognition of it to make the transition to mental consciousness. No, I'm sorry, before mental consciousness, it's uh, inattentive, non-determining, then it goes into mental, non-conceptual, and then it goes into conceptual. So it's a multi-part thing that's analyzed very, very uh, precisely. But if we leave it simple, haha, simple, if we leave it simple, then we're just distinguishing, basically, distinguishing a person from a table, from, the, from a sofa. So not only distinguishing a body from the sofa, but distinguishing a person from a sofa. And only conceptually, you know, further down the line, would we actually know, fit it into a category of other persons and other, you know, bodies. So it's, that's is the category that it fits into, then it's conceptual. And then we can have all sorts of associations with it. And the person, you know, fits into other persons. And I might even know, you know, this individual person. We see persons on the Uban, we have no idea who they are, but we see them all as persons. It's like to distinguish the blue and white. We can still distinguish without having the concept of what is blue and what is white, but it's just different. Exactly. And in the same level, the person and table, right. in this point, not yet so much what table is or what the person is, but it's just that we know that it's... That it's two different it's kinds different. of objects, exactly. Yeah, then the moment three, it comes all the concepts that come. Right, but here in our analysis, we're not even talking about the conceptual thing, but uh, the conceptual would follow that with some tiny little steps in between.
Mr. Science, how does that uh, fit in with uh, science? I can't... Uh, I have to keep listening. I'm not, I'm not sure I can fit this. Well, let's not say with persons. Let's say with motion. Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to bring in quantum mechanics here. At all. To make it fit. Just... Uh, how do we how do we perceive motion? Isn't it uh, first you see an object and then even if the object is in motion, you would have to see a few seconds of it to be able to see that it's in motion. Sure. Mm -hmm. You couldn't at the first moment, of course. If Pardon? You just, if you just blink and see one moment, you cannot infer that it's in motion. Right. Exactly. So they say it's the same thing with impermanence, same thing with aging. Mm -hmm. so same thing with the passage of time. Totally total classical phenomenon, no quantum necessary. Right. Yeah. And so they say it's the same thing with a person. Yeah. That this is an imputation mm -hmm. and it is too subtle to be able to know with certain to cognize with certainty your your basically the mind is not fast enough well, not, it doesn't have enough resolution no but yeah you could say that it doesn't have enough resolution yeah. although although a person appears it's not as though you're imputing a person on it. The person is an imputation on it. It's the fact, objectively. And imputation doesn't mean that it is uh, conceptual. Imputation does not mean that it's conceptual. That's mm -hmm. why we made this distinction between yeah, imputation, think. mental labeling, and designation. Mm -hmm. Mental labeling is with a category that's conceptual. Designation is with a word or name that's also conceptual. Yeah, but it's one has to remind otherwise it's, it's yeah. a little funny. So yeah, imputation? although all three are the same word. Imputation, mental labeling, and? Designation. Designation. Designation with words and names. And mental labeling? Category. You label it as fitting into a category. Without having names. You Without no, having a name. You don't need names for that. Right. When you see things, I see that table, I know that I fit it into the category of table. I don't have to say table in my mind. Yeah. You don't have to give the name for, of everything that you see. Yes. Like animals. Hmm? Animals see that. Oh, that's a, and animals that's as well, but we do. Animals know what things are and they don't necessarily have names. So, but that is mental labeling. That's mental labeling. To see that that's my food and that's not my food. Right. right, to see that's my master and that's uh, my barn and that's, you know, food. I see, I see. Yeah, so designation is with names and... Uh, designation is with practice. names and words, which... Mental labeling yeah. is just the concept. But and the, the designation is put on the concept and through the concept on the items in the con in the on the category, and through the category on the items in the category. I see. And 
imputation is not conceptual. And imputation is, I'm using this just for, like motion is not conceptual? It's not a mental construct? From the Sautrantika point of view, it's an objective fact. Aging, impermanence, change, motion, persons, time. This type of phenomenon. And action is also an example. An action doesn't take place in one moment. And motion is imputed on the object that is located. It is an imputation on the object, even in one moment. The object is in motion, but we can only be certain of it if we see two moments, if you see the object in two different places, yeah, consecutively. Otherwise, we don't know. It's too subtle. And that fits with science, that you can't know the location and the speed at the same time, the velocity. Is that the, the way it's formulated? You cannot know the position and the speed at the same time. The position and the speed at the same time, right. Again, so you said that motion is not conceptual. That's right. Motion is objective. There is a concept of motion. But without having the concept of motion, still there's still mo something is moving. Something moving. Right. So it's imputedly knowable. The first moment you have, you are certain of the object, and the that's the basis. The second moment you're also certain of the basis and the what's in the imputation on it. The imputedly knowable phenomenon. So that is the case both with uh, these non-congruent affecting variables, but also the case with static phenomena like a category. First, in a conceptual cognition, we are certain of the item, and then certain of the item and the category that it fits into. Right? Okay, so then the question is, what about selflessness of a person? How is that cognized in the Sautrantika system? So remember, we had moment one, we were certain about, you know, this is the involved object. The involved object is what is known with certainty, accurately and with certainty, in non-conceptual. So if moment one, colored shapes in the body as a whole. Moment two, the involved object now is the colored shapes, the body as a whole, and the person. So now, 
in order to know the selflessness of a person, there's a deceptive appearance of the person. The person appears to be noble all by itself, self-sufficiently knowable. That's the subtle selflessness of a person, is that there's no such thing. So it appears to be self-sufficiently knowable. So, moment three, you have to refute that. And once you've refuted it, and eliminated that uh, appearance, the deceptive appearance, then, in moment four, phase four, you would have explicit apprehension of the colored shapes, the body as a whole, and the person, and according to Sautrantika, implicitly, the selflessness of a person. This is because Sautrantika says that uh, the second, you know, when you know imputedly knowable phenomenon, first the basis, so we've had the basis before, and uh, then we have both the basis and the imputedly knowable phenomenon. But selflessness doesn't have, you know, according to them, Sautrantika, selflessness can only be known implicitly. This is because selflessness is a static phenomenon in their system, and static phenomenon can only be known conceptually. It can't be known non-conceptually. And selflessness doesn't appear in the uh, consciousness because you can't have well, you can't have the um, thing appearing by itself. It, it can't appear uh, non-conceptually. It can't appear non-conceptually. I think that's the problem because they, when they are absorbed in the selflessness, then it's a non-conceptual recognition of the selflessness of a person. And this must be then uh, implicitly because uh, you, you still cognize the person, but implicitly since it is non-conceptual, you can only implicitly know that it's uh, not... Uh, right, but that implicit apprehension of selflessness is conceptual. They say, because mm -hmm. it's a static phenomenon, and static phenomenon can only be known conceptually. It is known... Yeah, can only so be known conceptually. Okay, so then they are not... But they consider it because the, the appearing object is known non-conceptually that it is known that it is a non-conceptual cognition. So then I will say you have both. You must, in this system, it, it sounds as if you have the, the non-conceptually you see the person and conceptually you know that it's not... Uh, well, if I remember correctly, and I would have to check this and confirm this, in the Sautrantika system, you have what's known as uh, reflexive awareness. This uh, rangrik in uh, Tibetan. And this is an awareness that accompanies every moment of cognition and acts as the recording device. And it is aware of the primary consciousness and mental factors. It doesn't cognize the object of the cognition. Now, I'm not sure whether it cognizes selflessness as well. 
If it does, it's non-conceptual. It doesn't cognize the object of the cognition? No, only it only focuses on the uh, ways of being aware that are in mm -hmm. the cognition and records that. How can this how can this be? How can this be? I don't know. That's the way it is. <laughs> mm. I thought it's it's uh, like the permanent recording device for everything. Uh, no, it's not. A, as far as I recall, it's not a permanent thing of everything. I mean, it works with if you think of. Uh, I recall seeing you last week. So what do I recall? I don't actually recall the, I mean, I recall the whole phenomenon of seeing you. But I don't recall the actual sight that I saw. I recall it's with a cat with a category, and then something to represent that. Memory is conceptual. When I remember something, it's a conceptual cognition. Mm. So now I remember seeing you. So if you or you know you remember leaving your house. Mm. You remember, you know, driving here. So, well, that's an action that gets a little bit more complicated. You remember, I remember seeing a movie. What do you, what, how, what happens in that moment of cognition, of memory? What are you remembering? You remember the experience. So you remember the seeing, and you remember interest, or maybe you liked it, or maybe you didn't like it. You remember all the mental factors. And there's the category of the movie, and maybe you have one mental picture that represents it. You don't have, you know, when I remember the movie, Unless you have, you know, photographic memory. I can't play the whole movie exactly as I saw it in my mind. No, you don't remember the actual object. Yeah, but some shots from the movie you remember. It is a mental representation of it. It wouldn't be exactly... I mean, it's hardly ever going to be precisely mm -hmm. like a photograph. Is it? No, it's not, it's not like a photograph, but, but it's... It's similar. Yeah, it's similar, yeah. It's similar. That's so concept, it is, it's called a mental anyway. representation mm. that, represent, that represents the category of the movie. That each time that you remember it, the category comes up, and probably not the exact, precise same mental image. You remember seeing your mother last time that you saw her. Well, 
you didn't just see her for one moment. You don't play the whole movie of uh, you know, the entire time that you saw her. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I'm not sure whether that self, that, you know, in uh, this reflexive awareness, so it's awareness reflexively of itself, of, you know, of the cognitive part of the cognition, so it's turned inward. This is asserted by Sautrantika, Chittamatra, and... Uh, Yogacara is for Tantrika, but uh, refuted by Sautrantika, Svatantrika, and Prasangika. According to Prasangika, it is uh, any cognition is implicitly aware of itself. That's what they say. So, back to our uh, example here, we have, uh, if we're going to analyze selflessness of a person, first uh, colored shape, and a body, then colored shape, body, and person, then refute the deceptive appearance of the person, and then while we have the appearance, non-conceptually we're talking about, of the person, the body, of the colored shapes, the body and the person, non-conceptually, implicitly, we would know conceptually the selflessness of the person. There's no such thing. The selflessness in Sautrantika is a, what's the word, non-implicative negation, no such thing. Whereas in Vaibhashika, it was an implicative one. It's not this. Something else. Okay? So, so this chart of the moment 1, 2, 3, 4 is actually when we realize... Okay, not we, but when the... When people realize the selfness of the person, what's happening actually is... is right, what is the... when you realize selflessness of a person non-conceptually, this is... Uh, what's happening moment What happens moment to moment. Conceptually it would be the same, except that uh, uh, instead of explicitly knowing non-conceptually the colored shapes, body and person, that would also be conceptual. I see. So above is when you're realizing non-conceptually. And then below is when you're realizing the selfness of the person conceptually. No. The... In non-conceptual cognition of the selflessness of a person, according to Sautrantika, the basis for imputation still has to appear. According to them, Selflessness, which is imputedly knowable, it's a static phenomenon, can only be known first the basis and then simultaneously with the basis. The problem is that selflessness is a static phenomenon and in their system 
Static phenomenon can only be known conceptually, it can't be known non-conceptually. So when you know, you know, when it appears, when, stat when selflessness or voidness actually appears, there's no appearance. When it appears non-conceptually. So it can only be non-conceptual, it can only be implicitly apprehended if the basis appears. The basis appears and absence can't appear at the same time. If a body and a person appear, you can't have an appearance of basically no such thing at the same time. No such thing appears like nothing. Right? So you can only know, like no milk in the refrigerator. No such thing as a monster in the refrigerator. So the absence of a monster in the refrigerator, there's no such thing. So there's no such thing as this, you know, self-sufficiently knowable self. Or the coarse one, a static, partless, independently existing self. There's no such thing. So total absence never was impossible. So that can't actually appear non-conceptually. So it can only be known conceptually through a concept of no such thing. And at that time, I mean, not that it can't appear, it can only be known conceptually, but it can't appear. So it's known implicitly. And that would be conceptual. When you have non-conceptual cognition of, you know, it's called non-conceptual cognition of, uh, the, of selflessness. But does Seltrantica say that there is no conceptual realization of self as a person, or it's always conceptual? They call this the implicit apprehension of the selflessness in a non-conceptual cognition as non-conceptual cognition of selflessness. This is what I said I'd have to check. I don't remember it precisely, but it seemed to me that uh, that selflessness is known non-conceptually by the reflexive awareness. It doesn't have to appear to it. Because all cognitions of reflexive awareness are non-conceptual. Complicated. I'm sorry. It's complicated. You know, in Mahayana, you can know it without the basis appearing. So, Trantika, the basis has to appear. This is the difference. Yes, but I think the, the refrigerator example is quite nice. Then you look in the refrigerator, yeah. like in the per look at the person, and then but. You could you could watch look inside there are lots of things inside, but you decisively know while looking in there there is no whatever inside no milk 
Yeah. Right. Lots of things in there, but no milk inside. But then you you know directly, straightforward, uh, the refrigerator with all this all this content. But at the same time, since you have understood before that there's no milk, then this this goes with it. Right. I find it not too bad. Right. So I'm looking at you. I see you and I understand the person doesn't exist in this impossible way. There's an absence of them existing this way. So it's understood. You know, the basis doesn't have to appear. This we'll get to, but that's the Mahayana. So, Trantika, the basis has to appear. Appear the basis. Then on that basis, you recognize that that doesn't have a self. For all the tenet systems except Vaibhashita, the basis and the imputation on the basis. So let's just say the body and the person. The body and the person, of course colored shapes is what you see, but the body and the person that, appear, that appears. I see a body and a person. I only am able to distinguish initially with certainty, the body. Next phase, next moment, I'm able to distinguish the body and the person. If I wanted to know what it is, I would have to fit it into the category of body and person and the person that I know and so on. and a name. Right? It's a person. So now I fit it into the, now conceptually I fit it into a category of persons and maybe a specific category of a person, you, and maybe I give it a name, Motoya, your name. But initially I just see a body and I see a person. Because it is a body and it is a person. That you know imputedly. That, no, that I know a, a, the body is substantially established. The uh, person is also substantially established. Substantially established, but imputedly. It's an imputation. Yeah. Not, nobody is imputing it. It's an imputation. It's a fact. Then normally we, on the next moment, we start putting our mental labeling and then the designations. That's right. Yeah. That's conceptual. 
But if we wanted to know the selflessness, first we would have to, you know, after we have ascertained that uh, it's a body and a person, maybe we've also done conceptually as well, we would have to refute the deceptive appearance. And then, while it is appearing non-conceptually, we would know implicitly that no such thing is the, you know, so it would be, I believe, I believe that even in the non-conceptual cognition of selflessness, the body and person appear to be deceptively still. I don't know. But you know that, this, that it doesn't refer to anything real, doesn't correspond to anything real. Yeah, it could be. You are not fooled by it. You're not fooled by it. Mm. Right. It would have to be like that because this is, they're talking about uh, Shravakas. Mm. It would have to be like that. They haven't gotten rid of the habits of grasping for true existence that makes the false appearance, the deceptive appearance. That's enough for liberation. Pardon? That should be enough for liberation. That would be enough for liberation, mm. according to them, mm. according to the Sautrantikas. Okay? So, just let that sink in for a few moments. I mean, it seems much easier to have the non-conceptual, you know, it's what you would imagine. That I see you and I know that you don't exist in the way that uh, you appear. It seems to me that I'm just seeing Motoya or Jorge. It doesn't seem to me like I'm seeing colored shapes and a body and as an imputation on that, a person. And which person is it? It's Motoya or Jorge. It doesn't seem like that. It just seems self-sufficiently knowable. I'm just seeing Motoya or Jorge. And then I would know that that there's no such thing as that way of existing of a person. The thing is to really have certainty about no such thing, for it to be accurate and decisive. And for that requires logic and meditation and so on, a, a real refutation. Not just saying, not just presumption, which is, I don't think so. But I don't really understand why not. Why it doesn't exist like that. But even with presumption, it helps. You know, whoever we see, you know, they don't exist, you know. Because what happens is we just think of the person 
that we know themselves sufficiently and then we identify the person with something that they just said or something they just did and we either are very happy about that or unhappy about that and disturbing emotions and so on. You just said all those things and, you know, they were really terrible. You put me in a bad mood. So we don't realize that the person is an imputation on the aggregates and the aggregates have arisen dependently on, you know, their family and everything they've done in their life and their past lives and, you know, all of that stuff. No, I'm angry at you. You put me in a bad mood because of what you just said. You got me angry. So, to be able to focus on the person with the understanding that that's not the way that they exist, they are imputedly knowable on the basis, and the basis itself has dependently arisen on causes and conditions and so on, then you don't have these disturbing emotions. They quiet down. If you can do that non-conceptually, do it long enough, then according to Sautrantika, you gain liberation, you, get, you have a true stopping of the disturbing emotions. According to Prasangika, you only have a true stopping of the gross disturbing emotions, there's still subtle disturbing emotions, mm-hmm. which are simply based on grasping for uh, self-established existence, so-called inherent existence. Okay? I mean, what's more involved with this on the Sautrantika level is taking everything personally. And that's what we want to overcome first, is taking everything personally. With the subtle we're just talking about in general, things aren't self-established. When you grasp for the self to be, you know, self-sufficiently knowable me and self-sufficiently knowable you, you just said that to me and you take it personally. And the gross disturbing emotions all arise on the basis of that. So that actually does make quite a lot of sense. Experientially. Experientially. And this is the real thing that we have to, you know, try to familiarize ourselves with and uh, remind ourselves of, of, you know, whatever happens, don't take it personally. You know? Since there is no... Pardon? Since there is no such person. Since there is, (laughs) since you and the other person don't exist in the way that... You know, you are imagining. Nothing is personal. It can be directed at you as a conventional person. But taking it personally is in terms of me, 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 you, you, you. So, you know, very solid.
knowable on its own. That's this substantially, self-sufficiently knowable, substantially established, self-sufficiently knowable me. That's what's refuted with the subtle. Self-substantially established means, according to Prasangka, you know, self-established. Not to mention this, the self-established you who told, who said this, and is a terrible person. Right. And, and every encounter that you have with them, they will remember this and, and color the, the, the experience because of this. Well, yes, I mean, then we've, we ascribe that characteristic to the category of that person. Remember, we had all the, you know, discussion of uh, when something appears in the uh, conceptual cognition, you know, what is the status? of the qualities of that person. Are they there on the side of the person or are they on, just on the side of, your, of the concept? And the different tennis systems have different positions on that. So, Sautrantika is all on the side of the person Chittamatra is all on the side of the concept. Sautrantika, Svatantrika, there's a defining characteristic on the side of the person plus the mental, the, con, the concept. And the uh, Chittamatra, well, anyway, Prasanga is uh, only on the side of the concept, but with no defining characteristic on the side of the person. Chittamatra had that on the side of the person. But anyway, that's too much detail. The point being that uh, with our concepts, we have things associated with them. And so if the person did something, you know, that you didn't like, then if you make that part of the concept of that person, the category of that person, then whenever you remember the person, you're always remembering that thing that they, that they said or that they did. Mm-hmm. And whenever you see them, you, always, you also project that as well. And there you have to let go. There are the, uh, you Sautrantika says it's on the side of the person, but everybody else says that, uh, no, you know, you don't have to have that as part of that concept. So let go. No longer happening. Okay? So, let's end with the dedication. We think whatever understanding, whatever positive forces come from this, may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for everyone to achieve the enlightened state of a Buddha for the benefit of all.